Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. But right now we are in our series called God Rails. That's right. Tom knows back there. I don't know what you guys are listening to up here. Really quiet. Wow. <laughs> All right. Guardrails. Anyone know what guardrails are? Yes? No? Maybe? Barriers. Well, here's a quick recap. If you haven't been for us for the last three weeks, we're in our third week right now. So a guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Right? They're designed to keep your vehicle from going off-road. And if you hit a guardrail, hopefully you don't, but if you do hit a guardrail, it's minor damage because it could have been worse if there's no guardrail there. Because you could have ended up in a hospital, you could have ended up in a ditch, you could have gone off a bridge, but just having your vehicle in a shop is going to actually save your life. And so guardrails serve two purposes. Maybe you've never thought about it in this fashion, but they're there to protect us and direct us. They're there to protect us and directors. And guardrails, if you notice, are never actually placed in the road. They're placed in the safety zone a little bit off the road because they're not there to hinder your journey. They're there to protect you in case something goes wrong. And so they minimize damage to you that could have been much worse. And the reason that we've called this series guardrails is that the roadways and the highways and the byways are not the only place in our world that we need guardrails because we need guardrails in our financial lives, in our professional lives, in our academic lives, in our marriages, in our relationships to minimize the damage that could happen to you and your family. So today our message is called Loyal and Faithful. Loyal and Faithful. Have you been in an aircraft, ever flown anywhere, maybe taken a holiday, gone to see a family member overseas, taken a trip, a business trip, whatever it may be, everyone's been in an aircraft at least one time? Some of us have been traveling quite a bit. What's the one thing they do in every trip, every aircraft, before they take off? Anyone know? That's right, the safety instructional information. How exciting is that? Most of you going, it's the most boringest part you could think of because the same thing happens over and over again. And you know, for me, I've flown a few times. Most people, they don't even pay attention. They just sit there. Maybe they're still on their phone. Maybe they're reading a book. They're looking at the in-flight magazine. They're even watching something on the in-flight entertainment. But the airline wants you to pay attention so much so that they will pause the in-flight entertainment so you can pay attention to what's happening because they think that this information is vital for your survival in case something goes wrong. But most people, they could care less. And I guarantee you the same people that did not pay attention would freak out if something went wrong with the plane, right? So maybe you've never thought about it in this way, but those are guardrails in place in case something goes wrong, in case something happens on the airplane. You know, if there's turbulence, they tell you, strap on your seat, put your seatbelt on, make sure you're strapped in because we don't want any injury to happen. So today, 
I'm expecting some turbulence. So remain seated. We'll come in for a safe landing eventually. So again, guardrails help us set a set of behaviors that become a matter of conscience. That you want these things to be in place before you get into a problem. They're there to guide us. And as we talked about in episode one, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit that dwells in us, gives us a a highlighted sense of consciousness. It tweaks our consciousness. He tweaks our consciousness. And oftentimes we use the Holy Spirit and we say it, and that's actually wrong because it's a he. He speaks to us. He directs us. He protects us. And oftentimes, if we heed his warnings, we don't end up hitting the guardrail. So, so it's important for us to understand that he's there to help us and guide us. To guide us financially. To guide us professionally. When it comes to our neighbors, our friends, our associates, as we talked about last week. In our relationships, in our marriages, personally, in things that happen to you and to me. We need guardrails. And the point of a guardrail is to light up your conscience before you hurt yourself or before we hurt someone else. That's the point of a guardrail. To make us feel a little bit uneasy on the inside and make us feel uneasy early. So we don't end up in a problem. We don't make guardrails for other people. We establish them for ourselves to keep us on the road. We don't tell other people what to do. Guardrails are meant to protect us. And that's what makes it so hard, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that does not encourage guardrails. We live in a world, and it's always been that way, that celebrates and magnifies and decides basically that painted lines are okay. And that's especially true with the topic that we're talking about today. Last week, we talked about our friends and associates, and today, I want to talk about friends with benefits. Today, I want to talk about guardrails when it comes to your marriage, or guarding yourself for marriage, or guarding your most significant relationship. So today, I will be your flight attendant, and if it gets rough, There might be a bit of turbulence. Strap on your seatbelt and don't freak out because we will come to a safe landing. Today I want to talk about what it means to be faithful and loyal. Or how to protect you and your relationships with your most significant person in your life. And how to set some standards in place to guard you from perhaps what is the most important relationship in your life. The problem is, and I want to confess our sins, every all of us together, jointly together. The problem is, and this is the problem, the problem is that we, as a culture, as a people, we entertain it all the time. We watch movies about it. We watch media about it. The songs sung about it. They glorify sex. That glorify sex outside marriage. That glorify affairs. That glorify promiscuous relationships. We entertain it with ourselves, and then when it happens to us, or when it happens to someone you know, we're shocked. 
And we say things like, I can't believe that your wife cheated on you. I don't believe what he did to you. I don't believe that she went around and did that. We entertain ourselves with it, and it's getting really quiet. I told you this will be some turbulence. We entertain ourselves with it, but when it happens to someone you know or yourself, you're shocked. Today, if you're new to church, or if you don't like church, or you got forced to come to church, this is the greatest Sunday you could be here because we're talking about sex. Right? That's, you are the only one clapping. And honestly, I'm glad you're here because this area is so misunderstood when it comes to people, when it comes to church, and when it comes to God. Now, here's some information that you might not have thought about, but God is the one who created sex. This is not new for us as Christians. Christians are not opposed to sex. It's not like we hate sex. Most Christians enjoy it. <laughs> we believe God designed sex, and pay attention here, we believe God designed sex for an exclusive covenant relationship. Christians believe God is giving us, and he gave us this extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary gift, but it does come with some guardrails, not just because he doesn't want to have, to have fun, because he wants to protect you. And that's why we're talking about it today. Now, if you were God, and you were creator of the universe, and you were able to design anything, and you wanted to inspire someone to write about sex... What would you say? What would you say? Go ahead, have fun, enjoy yourself, don't care about anything, just as long as you have fun. Be like Nike and just do it. <laughs> think about that for a second. What do you think God, who's invited you to address Him and relate to Him, got your best interest at heart? Heavenly Father. What would your Heavenly Father say to you? So thousands of years ago, the Apostle Paul, who was planting churches all across the Mediterranean basin, writes to a church in Corinth. And he's already been there a number of times, so he's taught them everything about the subject, but he writes this letter to remind them of what he taught them. And here's what he says. This is how he starts it. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. Now, before you freak out, let me say this. This is exactly what every husband wants their wife to do. This is exactly what every wife wants their husband to do. This is what every fiancé wants their fiancé to do. This is what every boyfriend wants their girlfriend to do. This is what every girlfriend wants their boyfriend to do. This is what every older brother wants their sister to do. This is what parents want their kids to do. This is what people who care and love about other people want them to do. Not to be involved in things outside of their relationship. 
Isn't that right? Yeah. That when it comes to sexual, their sexuality, they want at the very least, at the very minimum, to be careful with some things and they want them to flee from some things. But we're living in a culture and we're living in a world that is actually encouraging us not to flee from, but to flirt with. Right? Not to flee from, but to flirt with. Our kids watch TV shows about it. You watch TV shows about it. You read books about it, if it's not a marriage book. You listen to songs about it. You sing songs about it. And then we are shocked when someone cheats on their partner. We are appalled when marriages break down because someone had sex outside of their marriage. So this is what Paul says. Flee from sexual immorality. And then he says this. All other sins. When it comes to sexual immorality, Paul immediately puts sexual sin in a category of its own. Because he says everything else, but when it comes to this, this is uniquely damaging. See, it's possible to fully recover financially. It's possible to fully recover academically. It's possible to recover from bankruptcy. But when it comes to sexual sin, it's not the case. The damage is already done. Let me tell you, I've talked to lots of people through counseling and other areas of their life. And there's people that have gone through abuse when they were a child, in their marriage, in different scenarios, that are suffering with it for the rest of their life. They just can't get past it. Maybe they went to university or to school or somewhere that something happened to them that damaged them and they can't get past it. It follows them. The damage is done. And oftentimes, it's generational damage because it undermines future intimacy. Your future relationship is at stake. Perhaps the most important relationship is at stake because of what happened. Your relationships in the future will suffer because of your past behavior. It has a way of resurfacing over and over and over again in your life. And here's what's very important. Because we've all made mistakes. It's not like we're standing up here and saying we are perfect. We've all made mistakes. And what I want you to get is this. This is what Paul says. This is not unforgivable. God is not saying that this is something that's so bad that you can't get over it. This has nothing to do with God and God loving you. This has nothing to do with how much he will forgive you and embrace you. That's not what Paul is saying. He's just telling you the consequences of this sin is particularly different from every other single sin because it has a way of haunting you. It has a way of infiltrating your life for the rest of your life. And what you've done sexually and what you've participated in sexually follows you oftentimes for your whole life. Now, again, I remind you, this has nothing to do with God. He's not saying it's unforgivable. You are loved. You are forgiven. And I remind you, this has nothing to do with God's forgiveness for you. Nothing at all. 
but has everything to do with us because for some reason these things just don't leave us and Paul understands this because here's what he says all other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body right he's saying everything else and that's why it's in a category by itself everything else is outside but when it comes to your sexuality and your sexual behavior you sin against your own body what does sin sexually even mean if you're new to church great Sunday or someone forced you to come and you're sitting there now strapped in and you can't get off this flight here's what's really important because this is where the misunderstanding comes from sexual sin what does that mean in the New Testament the New Testament is the part that Jesus taught and his disciples documented about Jesus's life in the New Testament sin is defined as hurting stealing from or dishonoring another person that's what sin is sin is hurting stealing from or dishonoring another person so anytime I put me before you to your harm that's a sin anytime you put before me to my harm that's a sin and this isn't there's a holy God up there who's looking down and he has all these rules in place and when you mess up he's mad and he sends a lighting boat down to condemn you that's not it at all and oh I've sinned against God no the New Testament and you can check it out for yourself find some time to read it this is what you find anytime a person takes from another person defrauds another person dishonors another person steals from another person hurts another person that is considered sin why because every single person that you ever come in contact with is loved by God that's why and that's it this is not again God saying you cannot do this and you cannot do that this is what God is saying if you mistreat one of my kids the kids that I love we can't be okay if you mistreat someone that I care about you can come and sit in rows you can gather together you can lift your hands and sing praise songs all you want but if you mistreat one of my kids we have an issue that's what a Heavenly Father says so anytime you steal from take from hurt from another person you've not just hurt them you've offended our Heavenly Father as Christ followers we're called to treat other people how God in Christ treated us that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to treat other people the way God in Christ treats us so sexual sin is anytime you do something to potentially hurt another person again not because God is squeamish but because God loves the person you could potentially hurt and God loves you and God doesn't want to hurt them and God doesn't want to hurt you so when you take something you take this extraordinary gift that was designed for this exclusive relation one-of-a-kind relationship and you 
divide it up with every other relationship and spread it out all across different relationships you had. You hurt not just other people, but you hurt yourself. You take away something from someone else, but you take away something from you too. When you take something from someone that was intended for someone else or for something else, you sin against that person. Again, nothing to do with God. He's not mad at you. It's nothing to do with Him. It's what you've done to yourself and to other people. That's what causes the damage. It has everything, and please don't miss this because this is really important. It has everything to do with how much God loves you and honors you and cherishes you and loves and cherishes the person that's sitting beside you, the person that you work with, the person that you go to school with. God loves them just as much as he loves you. And that's why this is a big deal. That's why it's a big deal to God. Because the consequences of sexual sin is so different. God loves you too much to keep his mouth shut. And that's why Paul says, whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You betray yourself. You undermine your potential for future intimacy. And I can tell you again, I've talked to people that have gone through it. They suffer in their relationships because they don't want to open up to areas because they've been mistreated in some areas. They can't have genuine intimacy because of what's happened in the past. And some of you sitting here in a, in a room this size, some of you have gone through molestation. Some of you have gone through sexual abuse. You just don't talk about it. And sexual sin does something else. It makes you a secret keeper like nothing else can. Because you'll confess that you failed financially. You confess you lost a job. But sometimes you'll never talk about what happened to you sexually. It's hidden. It's held. And that's why it causes so much damage. So Paul says this. He's writing to these people. And he's taught them this, but he's writing again because, you know, maybe on the day that Paul was there, some people showed up late. We know about that, Transformers. Maybe they didn't hear. Maybe they just forgot what he said. Maybe they didn't show up that day. So maybe, he says, they don't know what I know and what they need to know and why this is a big deal. So this is what he says. Don't you know? Don't you know? Because if you might, if you know, it might change something. Maybe you've never heard this in this fashion before. Maybe you've never thought about it in this way. Maybe no one explained it to you in such a way that it made any sense. So Paul says, in other words, this is something you should know that if you know, it might impact the way you live your life. It might impact your way you deal with yourself. It might impact the way you handle your life. So this is not about consciousness or consequences now. He's saying there's a much bigger thing at stake. And this part, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to Christ followers. And he's writing to them because this is something unique to them. So if you're not a Christian and you're thinking about becoming a Christian, pay attention because this is something that all of us know and believe. He says this, 
don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't you know that God's Holy Spirit dwells in you? And so Paul shifts his thought from consequences to identity. He says, don't you know who you are? Don't you know what you are? You're a temple. And for most of us, we know anything about a temple. We might drive past a temple, or you've been to a tourist attraction where you've seen a temple. And temples, according to Paul, are sacred. But in our culture, nothing is sacred. But Paul says, no, no, no. But you are sacred. You are the most sacred thing in the whole planet. You are the most, better than the most sacred site in the whole world. Because God's Holy Spirit lives in you. That's what makes you important. That's what makes you serve. So Paul says, don't you know? Don't you know who you are? Because God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are, whether you believed it or not, or even understood it at this point, you are a sacred image bearer. Because you bear the image of the most holy God. You didn't just happen. You didn't just come along. You were designed on purpose. You were worked on with love and finally crafted for intimacy with one other person. That's what God designed. You are special. You are chosen. You are loved. And so is the person who you're with. So is your husband. So is your wife. So is your boyfriend. So is your girlfriend. So is your fiance. So as Christ follows, listen up. God's Spirit lives in you. You are valuable. And this is important because this is a big deal because the value of a container is determined by what it contains. When you go to the grocery store and you buy your drink, your soft drink, your juice, your pasta sauce, whatever it is, you're not buying it for the bottle, you're buying it for what's in it. And most times when we're done with the stuff in the bottle, we throw it away. So the value of a container is determined by what it contains. And your heavenly father says that you contain the image of the most glorious God. His spirit lives in you. Most of you know this. And then he says this, you are not your own. Say, but I'm my own. I'm me. I'm an adult. I own me. But Paul says, no, no, you're not your own because, and be glad that you're not your own because ownership also determines value. Ownership determines value as well. See, the thing about a container is what it contains makes it valuable. But ownership and creation also determines value. One of my most, my, my favorite painters is Vincent Van Gogh, and he paints some great pictures. When he lived in his world, he didn't even actually have that much money. He died apparently of poverty. But his paintings now are worth millions of dollars. There might have been some other painter around that used the same paint that he painted and painted something else. But no one cares about that because it's a Vincent van Gogh painting that makes it valuable. Because his name is on it. He created it. Ownership determines value. And God says, be Amazed that you're not your own because I determine your value. Not you, not someone else, not another person, but God determines your value. 
And here's what Paul is saying. You were created by your father in heaven. He owns you. You were purchased with a price. He says, you were bought with a price. The value of a thing is determined by how much you can get for it, right? You can put a price tag on anything you want, but no one's going to buy it. So value is determined by how much a person pays for the item. Let me share this with you. Paul says the essence of the gospel is that God sent his son down to you to pay the price for you. He paid his life for your life. That's how much God values you. That's how much God cherishes you. That he gave his son's life to pay for you. That's determined value. That's how much God values you. That's how much he cherishes you. And so Paul says this, you were bought for a price. And here is the ethic that Paul's trying to introduce. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is a standard for the child of God. Honor God with your bodies and honor the bodies that are sitting next to you. Because God's Holy Spirit lives in them. He purchased them with a price. This is the New Testament sexual ethic, to honor God with our bodies. And that's why this is a big deal. And it's not just consequence. We know that, but because every single person bears the image of God and they are worthy of respect. We might not agree with their behaviors, but they are deserving of respect because they bear their heavenly Father's image so that's why Paul says don't you know if you didn't know now you know maybe you never thought about it in this fashion that's why he says don't you know now you do and this is why we need God rails for our marriage for our future marriage for your fiancés for your girlfriends your boyfriends your partner if you are in a committed relationship this is important because it's not just going to protect you it's going to protect them, and it's going to protect your relationship. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to give you some guardrails. Here's some suggestions. Again, suggestions, guardrails. Up to you whether you want to put it. And if you disagree with all that we've talked about, that's fine. But here's some guardrails for you to think about. Talk about this with your significant other. Have a conversation. Talk about what guardrails mean and where you want them in your life. For example, try not to keep secrets from each other. If you're going to spend time with someone and you don't want to tell your spouse or your significant partner who that is, that's a guardrail. That should light up your conscience. That's a warning. Why don't you want to talk and tell them who you're with? What are you opening yourself up to? Always be, set some rules in place and say, hey, if I'm going to meet someone and I'm not comfortable with meeting them because, you know, there might be some attraction there, there might be opening up a room for something that might happen. And see, a guardrail is not if something happens. A guardrail is in case something happens. You want to light up your conscience before you hit the guardrail. So if there's potentially even a remoteness of attraction, talk to someone. 
It doesn't have to be your partner at that point, but talk to someone and say, I'm really getting attracted to this person. I'm, I'm in a committed relationship and I, I need to talk this through. Yeah. Talk to someone. Don't keep it a secret. Anything that sets up a relationship outside your most important relationship, you need to check that. Whatever it may be, it might be, well, I'm just meeting this person to counsel them and talk to them and give them advice. Here, let me tell you this. You're not a counselor. And you don't give the greatest advice anyway, so to see a counselor. Right? Don't set yourself up because your future intimacy is at stake. Don't even go down a path that might look inviting but could end up in a bad situation. Set up some guardrails around out-of-bounds attractions. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to protect you and direct you. Spend some time inviting your Heavenly Father to direct you in the way of your marriage and your relationships and rely on His warnings. Remember, guardrails light up your conscience before we get to the danger zone. If you think this is crazy, you think I'm talking a whole bunch of smack, let me ask you a question. What in our culture equips and supports you to remain faithful? What in our culture, is it advertising? Is it TV? Is it movies? Is it books? Is it songs? What in our culture encourages you and supports you to remain faithful to the one that you stood before at some point and said, I'm going to commit my life to you for the rest of my life? What encourages you to do that? What helps you build a healthy culture in your relationship with your wife, your husband, your significant other, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiancé? Where do you go to get good, healthy advice that will encourage you and say, we want the best for you? Maybe the only place you hear something like that is at church. Yeah? And maybe outside of church, there's nothing to help you remain loyal and faithful. Because we live in a culture that glorifies sex. Who and what encourages you to have a great relationship that says, I want to breathe life into you, I want to breathe life into you, I want to protect you, I want to guard you for your future relationships and make sure that your relationship is lasting and great and you enjoy all the good things that come with it, including sex. Who's doing that for you? Maybe no one, but the church. Maybe you came here for the first time and you said, "Wash, my gosh, am I in church? Yes, you are. Because this is what Paul talks about all the time, not just sex, but how to live a life that glorifies God. And that's why he says at the end, honor God with your bodies. And as you heard it the first time, glorify, the first message, episode one, glorify your heavenly father. Who does that for you outside church? Nobody. So here's some advice from you. Even if you hated everything I said, and you got uncomfortable and you're saying, when does this flight end? Don't worry, we're coming in for a landing. You can get off this plane real quick. So Paul says, establish some guardrails in your life because there's never going to be a point in the future where you go, oh my gosh, I wish I never put those guardrails in place. There'll never come that point. Your future will be better, your marriage will be better, but your significant relationship will be better. So Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. Honor God with your bodies. 
honor the people that you love and honor yourself because God honors you. Here's two questions and we're done. What can you schedule or when can you schedule a conversation with your significant other about some guardrails in your relationships? Have a conversation. Remember I said talk about it? Schedule. Don't just say, hey, let's chat. Schedule it in. Put it in. Because if you don't schedule it in, it will never get done. Schedule in. <laughs> schedule in. <laughs> People are scheduling right now. Schedule. Schedule in. Sorry, I'm saying uh, American word. Schedule. Schedule, schedule, whatever. Something in with your significant other and have a conversation about how you can guard each other for each other. So you don't fall out of relationship because of something that was never intended, but because of a moment of weakness. Right? Your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your fiance, your husband, your wife, they'll appreciate it because they don't want you running and fooling around, right? Schedule it. Number two, what checks can you put in place with your significant other to build a healthy, lasting relationship? Maybe it's like, hey, I'm at a work meeting and there's some people here. I was supposed to show up with, you know, with some other guys, but no one else showed up and there's this girl there by herself and I'm supposed to just sit with her. Maybe that's not the best thing. I'm going to call you and just check in with you. What do you think? Is this okay? Should I continue having this meeting? I know it's a work thing, but check in. Have a conversation. Build guardrails. That's a guardrail. Protect your relationship because here's the thing. No one else is going to. The world's not going to. The culture's not going to. What are you going to do? Let's pray. You're probably like, put on that announcement. We need to land this plane. So let's put on the announcement. We're landing the plane. Stand up. Let's go. <laughs> I hope your flight was safe. <laughs> I hope there's not much turbulence along the way. But as we're coming into Melbourne, the weather's nice. Great day outside. Enjoy your relationships. Amen. Hello again. And thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.